was it just like you woke up and said, oh, shit, I fucked up? And Yeah, well, it's more like I woke up in jail <laughs> on the floor. And uh, that was uh, the moment. Once I sobered up, um, I realized that was, that was my color card. And it was that or die. I want to welcome you to the Changing Course podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ledger. And I want to share not just my story, but the stories of those who have dug deep to find the wisdom and often unrelenting determination to change, grow, and evolve. I enlisted in the Coast Guard before I even graduated high school. I was a completely different person back then. It was a starting place, but ultimately it wasn't the path I followed. Its impact was lasting, to say the least. The point is, we all course correct our entire lives through different experiences. Those experiences, they teach us, they mold us, they can harden us, they can change us at our core. You know, if we take the risk, if we leverage that drive, step outside of our former selves, will we have enough courage and energy to make the shifts necessary for a greater life? How do we build resilience, confidence, self-respect? Where do we get the strength, determination, and grit? I'm just at the beginning of my journey, but one thing is for certain. I know that I can count on the unexpected along the way, resulting in the inevitable change in course. Just to recap, I've already talked to you on the phone through text messages, emails, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm on a mission now to uh, try to inspire people and remind people how close we are in our lives and how many course changes we make as we get older and, yeah. and navigate this thing I call the matrix. <laughs> Today's change in course, I connected with an old shipmate of mine, Brian Duffy. Brian and I met sometime in 2008 at a Coast Guard base in Provincetown, Massachusetts. If I'm remembering right, Brian would have been my immediate supervisor and very likely played a key role in teaching me how to become a boat operator in the United States Coast Guard. Life wasn't so bad. Driving boats, hanging on the beach, drinking beers. Eventually, we became good buddies. Brian and I shared many, many good times. I even attended his wedding a number of years back. His career, his life, he looked to be moving along just fine. But Brian's story, the one that I knew anyway, wasn't exactly an accurate depiction of what was going on underneath. Like the Play-Doh adage, be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. Brian's change in course would come abrupt. It would carry consequences and change his life forever. My very first question is for you to uh, tell me who is Brian Duffy? Well, currently I'm a father, husband, uh, father of two kids. I got a, uh, 12 year old daughter. She'll be turning 13 soon. And my son will be seven soon. And, uh, we just moved here to Coquille, Oregon, prior coast guard. My wife is active duty. And, um, I am just trying to live the best possible life I can, um, and be the best possible father and husband and just human being. I, I can, um, (laughs) <laughs> with with many many faults to my name um i try on a daily basis to be a little bit better every day so that's kind of how i go about my day and my process where were you born where'd you uh grow up i grew up in south carolina columbia south carolina um was born in 1979 i'll be turning 44 soon two older sisters 
mother and father, they've since passed uh, several years ago. But um, yeah, my sisters are still on the East Coast and uh, I'm out here in Oregon. Cool. Just doing our own things. When did you enlist and get into the Coast Guard? Well, I tried to get it in 2001 after 9-11 and uh, I, they, I was immediately rejected because of ADD. I'm freaking out at all. It's the dumbest shit ever. But so I had to go through some appeals processes for, for quite some time to the point where I almost joined the Marines, almost joined the Navy. And that shit was way too easy. So I was like, ah, I don't know. Let's back this up. Maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. So I, I, I waited my time out and finally got some appeals to go my way. And they let me in in 2002. I was off to boot camp. Prior to that, I left South Carolina and moved to Montana and tried to have some fun out there and just need some direction and felt the Coast Guard would be rad. Yeah, is that where, uh, so you got recruited in Montana? Yeah. Oh, no shit. Yeah, I called I a recruiter really. up and- uh, Wait, you called him up and said you need some help or what? Yeah, basically I was just like, I want some information, I'm, I'm interested and- 2001, you tried to get in. I met you, what, Cape Cod, 2007? Yeah, I went to Cape so Cod you, in t- no, 2008 was when I moved up to Cape Cod. P-Town. Yeah, P-Town. P-Town. I was there two years and then Chatham for six. So I was on Cape for eight years. And overall, how, how many years did you put in? Uh, 16. 16? Mm-hmm. What, and what did you... How, what was the transition? How, what, yeah, let's get to it. <laughs> yeah, you probably didn't know all this, huh? I didn't know um, any of this. I can't yeah, wait to find out. I am uh, shy of 20 years due to uh, a heavy alcohol incident that cost me my career. No shit. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. If you're okay with it. Let's dive in. You alluded offline that you've been sober now for how long? Um, six and a half years. Man, fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. And that's what... It, well, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, that's the whole premise of the show is is sometimes course changes fall in your lap and you have to make a decision. You have to go, you have to do something about it. You have to change mm-hmm. your life to become more happier, to be a better person. Uh, and you're six and a half years doing it. So that's like, that's awesome. Yeah. Was it just like you woke up and said, oh, shit, I fucked up? And Yeah, well, it's more like I woke up in jail um, well, <laughs> on the floor and... Uh, yeah, that was uh, the moment. Once I sobered up, um, I realized that was that was my calling card, um, and it was that or die, or worse. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, I think the easy way out would be for me just to to die. But uh, you know, I could have ruined my kid's life. I could have ruined my 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 wife's life. Could have ruined somebody else's family's life. So the Coast Guard part, like, that is what it is. It sucks. You know, I've put 16 years of my life in something, and I just fucked it up with one night. But really, it wasn't. It was a, you know, it was a whole lifetime of choices that led up to one night where I just threw it all away. Um, You know what I mean? Like, it was a progression. And it was a progression that I saw happening. And and at one point, I, I accepted it. You know, just every night and drinking every single day, every single night. Um, and then, you know, like Cape Cod, when I lived out there, I was drinking a lot, but it, was, it wasn't like crazy bad. And then it started getting really bad, like after my mom got sick. And I used that as a crutch. I'm like, oh, my mom's sick. I can, I can be depressed and, uh, you know, kill myself with alcohol and stuff. And it was just an excuse for me to be a degenerate. 
that's all I was doing there. And, you know, it was kind of accepted by some people. And, and then eventually when we moved out to California, um, my dad, you know, I was making chief, I was going to a new surf unit Xander was on the way. Like when we, we drove cross country, my son was, uh, you know, he wasn't born yet. Um, so my dad, I remember him telling me to be careful that too many good things can have an opposite effect on you. You know, it's like you got a lot of things, but they're stressful. So he said, just, you know, take care of yourself, keep a watchful eye out and just be careful. You know, don't think everything's going to be hunky dory because there's good things happening to you. So yeah, 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 whatever. And I don't know what it was, but like when, when my wife was on leave and I was on daddy leave, like I did a full alcohol deep dive. Like I was drinking most mornings fucking crazy. Like every now and then back in the day, I'd have a beer in the morning or like if there was a game on early, I'd watch football and drink some beers around like nine or something like that. It's just still really bad, but really it was just more of a hair of a dog kind of a situation where I just wanted to, you know, feel normal and get back on the level playing field again. But those days started happening more and more often where I'd walk by. You know, I get out of bed, I walk through the fucking hallway and I look at the garage door from the inside and know my refrigerator's just on the other side of that door. I was like, I just found a beer real quick. And I did that a few times and then it started becoming more and more often. And I just accepted it. I was like, you know, fuck it. I'll just, I'll stop eventually. But basically I started creating this habit and this pattern that was unbreakable until it was just completely too late and I'd just completely gone into a, like oblivion of, of alcoholism. Just, I couldn't function. Like I could function, I could go days without it, but those were huge pats on the back, you know. Days of duty, when I stand surf duty, those were really the only days that I was like not drinking. When you couldn't, when you couldn't have access to it. When, you... when I couldn't, yeah, yeah. And I would force myself, like I would stand duty when I didn't need to. I'm like, oh, the buoy's up, I gotta go in. Be like, I just need to give myself a fucking break and force myself not to drink. Cause if I stay at home, you know, I'm gonna have some wine with Christina when, when she's not looking, I'm gonna go in the garage and pound some booze. Huh. That's what's up. That's how I fucking function for years. Is it a duel? Is somebody inside your head saying like, yeah, go get that beer. And then you're yeah. like, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Constant battles. Constant battle. Yeah. It's just fucking, it's torturous. It really was like, I mean, I would have to like audibly yell, shut up to myself sometimes or just punch myself or you know, just pound my chest or something, just something to turn it off. But uh, I mean, at, at one point it just became, I needed to fall asleep. You know, I needed to pass out because I just, my body was used to it. Right. And I craved it. I just wanted to release. I just wanted to numb myself. Just, I, I mean. So it sounds all real bad, but I want to, I want, I want the audience to kind of, uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a way out of these situations, right? So you hit rock bottom. I don't know if you're yeah. comfortable telling us that story. Yeah, I could tell it to you. I don't know. We were, it was December. I just recertified surfman at Bodega like a week or so before that. And I did some duty. He was feeling good. Got like a, I don't know, got an argument with my boss. And um, it was really just a, kind of a bad situation. And I was like, fuck it. And I just went to go surf. I figured if I surfed, I would feel better. And like, for some reason I felt worse. So I just went and just got some beers and started drinking. And then the kids came home and Christina came home and she ended up going off to duty for a couple of days. And um, she she was down at Station Golden Gate and I lived in Petaluma. We lived in Petaluma. And uh, 
was drinking all day and it was football season and I was watching football all night and I stayed up drinking all night. I passed out on the couch. I woke up. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and just pounded vodka. I just went back to sleep and I woke up that mor- the next morning and I had a couple beers and and like it was just this two or three day just excursion by myself with but the kids were in the in the house and we weren't going anywhere i was like i'm fine to drink and i had a ton of booze i was just gonna obliviate myself i don't know like i had these thought patterns where i made it okay and you know any sane person would look in and be like this is not okay in the slightest bit and uh so i was just drinking and drinking and drinking the night was coming around and I started getting low on alcohol. Realistically, I had plenty, but I, you know, my comfort level wasn't there with the amount that I had. So I got in the car and I grabbed my kids, put them in the car and drove up the road and uh, went to, you know, four blocks away, right up the road, the closest market. And uh, went in there and got a couple six packs of the highest octane beer they could have. You know, it wasn't booze, right? I can't get that drunk from beer. But I've been drinking vodka like for two days. And so my alcohol level content was crazy high. It was raining, it was super dark, and I sideswiped a car in the parking lot and I tried to pull away. Somebody come running out of the, the market and um, I think it was his car and was like, yo, what the hell? And I mean, I was oblivious. Like, I barely remember it, but I remember him coming in and he tried to get the keys out of my car. Or he tries to come up to the door and get me to stop. And he saw that I was shit-faced. And then he reached in and I remember yelling to somebody. He's like, hey, he's got kids in the car. He's drunk. And so he reached in and turns my ignition off like a fucking ninja and takes my keys out um, through the window. Pretty impressive, actually. And uh, before I knew it, there's probably seven cop cars. Just blue lights just lit up the block. Just instantly like a scene in Cops or something. Shit, my fucking life is over. I thought about running. That was the first thing that came to my mind. Like, I there's a exit strategy right that way. Fucking just live. But you know, long story short, they hauled me out. They tried to breathalyze me. I didn't want to breathalyze her because I knew how bad it was. And uh, they took me to jail. And I had no idea what was going on with my kids. My my daughter was five. My son was one, not even one, actually. Fucking makes it even worse. Not that one's a good, you know, cutoff age for bringing your kids into a drunk driving situation, but, uh, man, yeah, that was the worst fucking night of my life. And that's why I'll never drink again, man, because I know, I never know what's going to happen. That's why I stopped drinking with other people because I didn't know if I was going to get into a fight, if I was going to try to cheat on my wife, or if I was going to just end up leaving a party by myself and passed out in the woods. All those things, except for cheating my wife, thank God, has happened several times. So they had to call my uh, neighbor. She was our babysitter. She came, her dad dropped her off, and uh, she drove my truck back with the kids, took them home, stayed the night with them. My wife came and picked me up the next day, and I was finally sober enough for them to let me go. You said she was at uh, she was on duty for a couple of days, so she had to get it off. Yeah, the cops called her uh, at work. Yeah. Did she know that you had this? Did she know you were dealing with this problem throughout, or was this kind of like a slap in the face to her? 
No, she knew. She knew I was drinking a lot. And she's just kind of used to it. She grew up around her dad's an alcoholic. And, um, I mean, she would find bottles and stuff in the garage stashed away. And she'd just be like, oh, Brian, you know, things like that. And I would like secretly kind of leave them out. So she would find them, confront me and just like, you know, put a hammer to my face and make it all real to where I had to do something about it. And I've told her even before too, I was like, I think I should maybe go to a meeting or something. She was like, yeah, well, maybe, but it was never pushed. And that's just her. She's, you know, sweet girl. She didn't want to push me away. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe she thought I had a grip on it. Maybe it would, it would turn. I was sad because my mom is dying. My dad died and shit like that. But well, you had a lot going on. I mean, no, not, not only are you dealing with this alcohol incident, but now you're, you, would you just say like, your, I thought your mother was sick and she ends up passed, she passed away. Yeah. My mom, my mom passed when I was still in Chatham in Cape Cod and, um, I didn't really get to see her too much and she deteriorated really quickly. And, uh, it was, it was pretty bad. Like and the way she went was, was not good. And the same thing with my dad, he passed some years later. He actually got to see me sober or at least be alive when I was sober. I didn't get to see him. But uh, when I went through rehab and stuff, he was supportive and there for me. And then uh, he had a stroke a few months after that. Um, I don't think anybody, any one person really has it much worse. You know, everybody's at some point in their life is going to go through some, some sort of tragedy. So for me to, to hold that up as, uh, as a reason for my issues and stuff like that is all, is all bogus. It all came from within, I think. You're right. Everyone does have their own story. I hate how we've gotten to a point in society where we're competing with each other, whether it's your profession, whether it's your entrepreneurship or even in the military, it was a competition of how to get to that next rank and how to move up and how to have some sort of status in the world mm -hmm. where, geez, I wish I didn't have to lose my best friend to realize that like, I'm not really uh, in competition with anybody but myself. Yeah. And the day that I make myself happy. And the day that I do yeah. things for my future self and make make my path the way I want it to be and the way I need it to be, who gives a shit about everybody else, you know? You're right. Your story is like, I'm sure some people have dealt with harder things, but some people have dealt with easier things. And I think the point of your story or, or everybody's story is to realize that we all have a story. Yeah. And so what was the turning point? So like, I mean, there's a good, there's a good ending to this, right? So we're talking about all this rock bottom stuff. The incident happened on 2000, on December 8th, 2016. Um, and that was the last time I drank. I gave myself the ninth as my sobriety day because it took a while for that shit to get out of my system. I was home and I still had a lot of alcohol in the house and I took it around the back and I started to pour some of it out. I'm like, maybe just like one more night, you know, maybe just like one more drink, maybe one more sip right now. And then, and then I'll throw it all away. And then just something inside me that I don't really, you know, recall ever having happened to me before, just said, pour it all out now and never do it again. <laughs> that was it. That was all I needed. So when, uh, when I finally cleared my head and was able to, to, to get sober and work on myself, and, you know, it was probably a good year and a half when I started to feel like I'm settling into the man I was made to be. It felt like looking back that I've been living my life wearing wet clothes. You know what I mean? And I finally like shed those clothes and just living a normal life. I felt like I was just carrying around all this extra weight and, <clears throat> and just thinking of my kids in the car. That's enough to remind me um, 
that it's, it's never worth it ever again for me to drink alcohol. And the next step was going to an AA meeting. And that first, that first one was, that was hard, you know, um, but it's just like anything else that you're unsure of. And it's, you know, you're, you're working on a life changing situation or just trying to climb out of the deepest, darkest hole you've ever fucking can imagine. Um, There's, you know, there's no other way to go. Let's try to go up. I don't want to speak for you, but I, you know, I, like I was talking about, about my issues and drinking and stuff like that, drinking or, or pornography or, or whatever it is, a good meal at a restaurant where you're wasting 30 bucks on lunch. You're searching for some sort of happiness to fill you up when and you fail to realize how short or how empty that happiness is that you constantly need to be refilling that bucket. There's like a hole in the bottom of it because it's all bullshit. But the happiness that you talk about, about being with your kids and just living in that moment, that is long lasting. It's, it's, it reaches to the next day and maybe the day after and the more you do it, you don't need to be filled with all the toxic poisons or the temporary smiles that you get at the bar. And so that was back in it'll be seven years now this December your family's stronger you're sober and you're kicking ass with this new bike shop that's super cool man super cool and I can't thank you enough for joining me on this this episode yeah man thanks for having me that deep dark pit the one that Brian described? Many of us have been there before. You look up and there's nothing. It's completely black. But if you take anything away from Brian's story, it should be that even when we're at the very bottom of that hole, we have to really try to remind ourselves, despite where we may stand, that there's a light up there. We may not be able to reach it yet, but it's there. Oh, and that bike shop I mentioned? Brian's change in course has pointed him at his childhood dream of fixing, building, and selling bikes. He just recently opened up a bike shop and his new venture is opening up all kinds of new doors. I want to thank Brian for sharing his story. It's never really easy reopening these kinds of things, but that just shows you what kind of tenacity and guts it takes to say, this ain't me. You got to ask yourself the hard questions, be the bigger person, admit to your failures and build off of them. Because no matter where you are in life, these course changes, they're inevitable, but you can prepare. You can take time for your mental health, your physical health, so that when life takes a swing at you, you'll be ready to fight back. I want to thank you for listening to the Changing Course podcast. If you want to follow the Changing Course journey, please visit www.changingcourse.com or check me out on Instagram at change.in.course. We're accepting donations, and the proceeds pay for the production of this series. And for details on how to donate, check the show notes. The Changing Course podcast is produced by Nonsensible Productions. You can visit nonsensible.fm. Just remember, we're all doing this thing differently. Be kind to each other, and as my oldest daughter likes to tell me, think smart. Until next time, I'm Nate Ledger. Later. I totally forgot we were on a fucking podcast. I was just rambling and... (laughs)